Welcome to the Life and Legacy Show, where we discuss all things elder law, estate, and legacy planning. Hosted by certified elder law attorney, Tim Seckler, from the Seckler Law Firm. And now your host, attorney Tim Seckler. Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Life and Legacy Show, sponsored by the Seckler Law Firm, where great families make great estate plans. My name is Tim Seckler. I am your host of this weekly uh, talk show where we, we talk about things like estate planning, wills, trust, powers of attorney. We talk about long-term care planning. We talk about post-death administration. All the things that I think you need to know, particularly if you are in your uh, retirement years and looking to understand how best to plan for yourself and plan for your family. Uh, and so um, we give you the information here we think you need to know. And, and you know, this is confusing stuff. Um and from my standpoint, um, being in this business uh, for more than a decade now, you know, it, it comes down to really educating people. Uh, you can read stuff until, you know, you pass out from exhaustion on the Internet about um, wills and trusts and, and how Medicare works and how Medicaid works. And the, the truth is it, it's different everywhere. It's different in every state. It's sometimes different in every county. And so what is your typical consumer supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? Are, and, and so I don't know how you make a decision with that without consulting with, uh, with somebody who does this for a living. It's, it's, it's a darn shame, but this stuff is complicated, and, and you need <clears throat> a tour guide to help you figure this out. Otherwise, you will make mistakes. And so we do this radio show, and we do our weekly workshops in the office. Um, trying to uh, trying to help people understand uh, what their choices are and what are uh, the different uh, the different options. So my law firm called the Seckler Law Firm, which you can find out about at SecklerLawFirm.com. S e c h l e r LawFirm.com is dedicated to helping uh, families with estate planning uh, needs. Uh, we have uh, we have folks that do post death administration work. We also help with folks who are in long-term care facilities trying to figure out how to pay for that care uh, without going broke. And so we deal with veterans benefits and Medicaid benefits. And so, you know, the way I look at what my law firm does is is we help you tell your family's story, right? Uh, you know, the way I look at this is every family has a story. You know, we, we work our whole lives. We raise kids if, if you have kids. We We try to build a nest egg. We're living our own version of this American dream. And this story that that we that we make along the way, um, the way I look at what I do for a living is I help you tell some of the most difficult uh, chapters of that story. We deal with death, we deal with disability, we we help you plan to protect assets from divorces of your kids, long term care costs, um, those things that really uh, cause stress in your world, and and that's where you know sort of real life and the law intersect, and that's where our law firm lives. So the law firm is physically located in Cranberry Township. But we're helping people across western Pennsylvania. Uh, and you can find out more about it or uh, come to our weekly workshops by going to secklerlawfirm.com, S-E-C-H-L-E-R lawfirm.com, or give us a call at 724-546-4227. Again, 724-546-4227. So the topic of today's show <clears throat> is probably the most common question I get. Uh, from our estate planning clients, and that is wills versus trusts. Um, you know, people come in, and, and I I have a, a will from when the kids were little, but I've heard about these trusts. I've read on the internet that only rich people need trusts. 
Um, well, how does this all work and, and what should I do? You know, do I need a will or do I need a trust? And so we're going to analyze that for the next 20 minutes or so here, uh, trying to help you understand what may be uh, the right decision for you. So first, understand that these documents are just tools. They're not good. They're not bad. Uh, the question really evolves around what is it that you want to accomplish? You know, it, it, saying that a trust is better than a will it's a little bit like saying a hammer is better than a screwdriver. Right? It, it really depends on what you're trying to accomplish. Um, and so um, in today's episode, we're going to explore that. What does a will accomplish? What do uh, a couple of different types of trusts accomplish uh, to help you on your way of making the decision on how best to plan for your family? But the first thing we need to talk about is how do you own your assets? There are different types of legal ownership. Um, my wife and I own our house jointly. If I pass away, she just gets that house. It, it doesn't matter what my will says. It, she just gets that by operational law. That's a joint with rights of survivorship. Um, many of us also own uh, financial assets that have beneficiaries on them. Retirement accounts have beneficiaries. Life insurance policies have beneficiaries. These are assets that you own in your own uh, name, but when you've passed away, you tell the financial company where to send the check. Um, they don't care what your will says. They're going to send the check uh, according to the contract that you have with them. And, and a lot of people get this confused. I've seen a lot of people that have written their own wills that in the will they will say, uh, I leave my life insurance to my brother. But then on file, the contract on file with the life insurance company leaves the life insurance to the sister. Well, the life insurance company is going to send the money according to the contract. They're not sticking around to wait to see if the will conflicts with the contract. They don't care. Uh, and so you really have to analyze your assets and say, well, okay, we own this jointly, we own this beneficiary designated, and then and then do the analysis of what actually goes through the will. Because what actually goes through the will are assets that you own individually in your own name, real estate in your own name, bank accounts in your own name. These are the assets that when you pass away, they end up in your estate, and your will is the directions for how you want your estate to be administered. That's really what it does. But be careful of drawing the conclusion that you don't need to do planning because you have a lot of beneficiary designations. Like a lot of people uh, will assume, you know, they'll hear me talking about this stuff and I can just see like a light bulb above their head and they'll think, oh, I get what this guy's saying. Um, if we just put our kids' names on everything, if our kids are joint owners, if our kids are beneficiaries listed on the accounts, then we don't even need a will. But that's a mistake because wills answer more than just the question, who gets it when I die, right? Beneficiary designations on your financial accounts only answer the question, who gets it when you die? They don't answer any of the other important questions, like what happens if the person is disabled? What happens if they pass away before me? Do I really understand what this contract is going to do? What happens if I leave it to my son and then my son goes through a divorce? What happens if it's all beneficiary designated to my wife, but by the time I pass away, she's sick and needs long-term care, right? So um, the, the relying too heavily on beneficiary designations it can be a big mistake if life throws your family a curveball. So be careful with this. Now, a lot of financial advisors put beneficiary designations on everything because they want to help you avoid probate, and we're going to talk about that in a second. So first, before we get to that, let's talk about what a will actually is. A will is a document that you sign, and, and that document is essentially a set of instructions for how you want your estate to be administered when you pass away. You name somebody called your executor who 
their job is to effectuate the terms of the will uh, pursuant to what the law allows them to do, all right? Um, so sometimes people think that a will allows you to avoid probate, and no, it doesn't. A will is essentially the admission ticket to probate. But once you get to probate, wills provide sort of the game plan for how it's supposed to go. But we still have to go through the probate process. So let's talk about probate. Um, probate is the administrative process through a courthouse under the oversight of a judge for how we get the things, the instructions in the will, uh, how we effectuate those instructions. So if the thing says equal shares to the kids, well, first, yeah, but we got to make sure creditors' rights are protected. If dad owed anybody any money before he passed away, we got to make sure that they have an opportunity to get paid. Pennsylvania is going to collect their death tax, so often the executor is the person who, who will end up filing the inheritance tax return. Um, and there's this administrative process to which we have to prove to the judge that we're doing this correctly. Now, sometimes, usually, in fact, estates are administered and, and they're finalized by the family all signing off on an agreement. And once we've signed the agreement and once we've ensured that all the creditor rights are taken uh, care of and that we can eventually distribute the money. But often this probate process takes a year or more because it's just the legal hoops you have to go through and there's certain requirements why we have to sit on the money for a little while so what typically happens is like if if a lawyer is advising the executor the lawyer is not typically advising all of the beneficiaries the lawyer is typically giving advice to the executor on how to do their job correctly and we'll tell them, hey, you got to sit on this money for a while because we've got to make sure that creditors' rights are protected, that the state has 12 months for creditors to come out of the woodwork to get the money. So we have to sit on some money for a while. But then what happens is, um, you know, the, the siblings, so one child is named as the executor, and then the, the siblings by like month six or eight start calling saying, where's my money, where's my money, you know, and, and thinking that the executor brother is doing something nefarious or being lazy or whatever. But the fact is they're just working through this process, right? So then all the siblings lawyer up, and now we got people, you know, mad at each other over the money. And, and it's it's a process that can that can really get pretty ugly. So there's this concept, and, and I kind of subscribe to this philosophy of you should avoid probate. And, you know, all else being equal, I, I don't want to go through probate. Look, I've had probate cases where we're in court – and judges will do something that is completely not in the will because of, uh, you know, their experience and, and how they want to see it go. So uh, remember, the judge is the referee in the probate court. And if something's going on that they're not real happy about, they've got to follow the rules and do something different than, than what's in the will. And so a lot of families decide, well, I, I don't want that level of oversight, right? And so uh, they want to avoid probate. But let me make a point really clearly. Going back to what we were talking about just a few minutes ago. Beneficiary designations, like if you have an investment account, you could put a beneficiary on that account, and that will avoid probate. But the problem with that is you don't get to answer the other important questions, like what happens if my spouse is sick, or what happens if the kids are young, or what happens if someone's disabled, or what happens if we're being sued, or what happens if my kid goes to a divorce. You know, what I call the other tough questions, the, the questions that we need to answer in addition to just who gets it. But with beneficiary designations, you can't answer those questions, which makes a will more appealing because with a will, we can answer those other important questions. But wills have to go through this probate, which is time-consuming and expensive and all the headache. So people like the, the convenience of avoiding probate with the beneficiary designations, but it's really smart planning to use a will 
to answer these other important questions. But what if we could do estate planning in a way where we avoided probate and answered the tough questions? And that's where trusts start to come into play, right? So a trust is another option. Now, think of a trust like you might think about a company. Like the Seckler Law Firm is the company that I own. Um, I'm in control of it, right? I make the decisions around here. Uh, but it owns stuff. It owns the computer that I work at. It owns the desk. It owns the. Uh, it, it it is subject to the lease agreement for my office space and all of that, right? Um, so it's its own legal entity. And when you create a trust, it, it's it's kind of like that, right? So the only place a trust exists physically is the paperwork that we draw up and you sign. And once you sign the document, then you just gave birth to this new legal entity. Then we have to give it some stuff, right? We put your house in the trust, perhaps, or some money in the trust. So now the trust, the, the house is subject to that trust agreement. It, you could think of it like the trust owns the house. Okay. Um, the trust then names the people in control. That person is the trustee, and the trust names the people who have access. Those people are called beneficiaries. Right? So the person who creates it is called the grantor. The person in control is called the trustee, and the people who have access, those people are called beneficiaries. Now, in some trusts, I'm going to be all three people. I want to be, I'm going to create my trust, I'm going to put my house in my trust, but I want to still maintain control and access. So I can do whatever the heck I want with the assets that are in this trust. Well, that is what we call a revocable living trust. It's a trust that I'm in control of and benefits me for the rest of my life. So once I put my stuff in there, life kind of goes back to normal. Um, and I go on living my life. But the difference is when I pass away, I didn't technically own that asset. It was subject to this trust agreement. And it's the trust that says, upon Tim's death, give this stuff to the kids in equal shares rather than the will. And the trust can also answer what happens if they're disabled and what happens if they're underage. Right? So the trust does what the will did in the previous example, except we don't need a judge's help to make it happen. We administer trust as a private arrangement with the family members, um, and we don't need the courthouse, which tends to save some time, tends to save some headache, tends to save some expense, uh, because I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to the courthouse, and neither does your family. And what they, what we really want to do is provide a mechanism for your kids, if that's going to be who's administering your affairs, to do this simply and easily uh, without a lot of headache. In revocable living trusts, are a great tool to manage your affairs well. We answer the question, who gets the stuff when you pass away? But we also get to answer the other tough questions, like what happens if someone's disabled? What happens if someone's underage, et cetera? Right? Um, but we don't need a judge's help to get it done when you pass away, which tends to save some headache and some expense, which is why trusts have been popular for a long time, is because it's, it, it, it can just be a smoother um, arrangement for your family. Okay, so that's wills. We talked about beneficiary designation. We talked about wills. We've now talked about revocable living trust. In a few minutes, I'm going to start talking about asset protection trust, irrevocable trust. Uh, but before I do that, I want to tell you where you can find out more information about all of that. And that is to come to one of our in-person live workshops or our webinars, which you can find at secklerlawfirm.com. You just go to the workshops tab and you can register. It's super simple. Tell us who you are and which one you'd like to come to. So we typically do them in our office. We also do them in um, the community. So coming up soon, we have one in Hampton Township. We have one in the Cranberry Township Library. So if these are convenient places to you, it's time for you to come out and and, uh, hear what we have to say uh, because um, I really feel that 
that this stuff is important. And the reason people don't do it is because lack of information leads to confusion, which leads to procrastination. Uh, and so come get the information. Come to the workshop. Learn all about this stuff. Um, and then we're going to offer you a free consultation afterward where you get to sit down and my lawyers will help you uh, to administer uh, and, and set up uh, your state plan according to your goals and desires. We're not here to tell you what your goals and desires are. We're here to tell you based on what you're concerned about, this is the proper tool to accomplish the job. Here's what a will can do. Here's what a trust can do. Uh, and then you make your own decision. Uh, we have 100% flat fee pricing on this, and so you'll come, you'll come to the workshop, you'll learn about your options, you'll come to a consultation, you'll know what it costs. Um, it's super fair, super simple uh, process to get you uh, to get you what you need to get the job done. Okay, so I encourage you come to one of the upcoming workshops or go to the website and download one of our free guides. There's a there's an estate planning guide under the resources tab on our website that I think you will find helpful with some of this information. All right. Now, before uh, we've got, uh, we got a little over five minutes left in the show here. And what I want to talk about now is a different type of trust. So we talked before my little advertisement there, we talked about wills and revocable living trust. Now I want to talk to you about an irrevocable trust. Um, and boy, is that word scary, irrevocable. It sounds so darn permanent, but I'm going to, I'm going to teach you that, that not really. Um, now, understand, please, that there are different types of irrevocable trusts. Um, so revocable trusts kind of operate the same way because you can revoke it and fully amend it and you maintain control and all the rest. With an irrevocable trust, now we're giving a little bit up here. Uh, but let's talk about why, uh, why this is important. Why this is important is because estate planning when done properly, as I talked about at the beginning of the show, is not just about answering the question, who gets it? It's also about answering the question, uh, what happens if I'm really, really sick before I pass away? You know, the traditional estate plan really focuses on death planning. Uh, and, you know, in our law firm, we have to answer those questions. But I also want to talk about how to have a successful retirement and how do we put a legal plan in place so that um, you, and if you're married, your spouse can have that successful retirement you've been thinking about for 50 or 60 years. Um, and when I sit down with a family, the question usually is, what is going to get in their way, right? You've saved money, you've got this nest egg, uh, you're, you're traveling, you're doing what your version of a fun retirement is. And so what's the thing that's going to get in your way? And almost inevitably, the answer to that question is, well, what happens if he gets sick? You know, what happens if, if my wife gets sick and needs a nursing home? How is that going to impact our finances? Are we going to be able to keep this home? Are we going to be able to keep the money? And I got to tell you, folks, this government rulebook that we have with regard to receiving long-term care is harsh. Yeah, it takes your money. Uh, if you need a nursing home, Pennsylvania nursing homes, today's dollars cost $180,000 a year. And how, how are you expected to pay for that? And the answer is nobody can. People are going broke. In, in my office alone, we're, half, we're helping you know, a half a dozen or more families per month deal with trying to protect their home from long-term care expenses. And so don't, my opinion, if you're concerned about that stuff, you need to consider using an irrevocable trust to protect assets. So let me tell you how this works. We create the trust. Um, 
and then we put assets into the trust. Now, in this trust, you can maintain certain levels of control. You can change who the beneficiaries are. You can change how the investments are made. You can make all kinds of decisions. But what you can't do is write yourself a check. If you could write yourself a check, then your nursing home could get the money too, right? So the general rule with asset protection from long-term care expenses is if I can get it, they can get it, right? So if I can get the money, so can the nursing home. So what we do in our office with clients that are concerned about this is we put the assets into a trust that says that the client, you, cannot have the money back. You cannot have the money back. Now, if we put the house in there, you can sleep in the house every night. You just can't own it again. And for some people, that's enough. Look, if your house is worth a couple hundred thousand dollars and you would like to protect it from the nursing home, let's put it in a trust and then you still get to live there. You still sleep there every night. But if you ever go into the nursing home, um, they can't have that house. And so, um, you know, what are you really giving up there? And the answer is not much. Um, now, I said before that the assets that we put in the trust, you cannot own again. You can't, if you put money into this trust, you cannot write yourself a check because if you can get it, they can get it. Um, which means when we do irrevocable trust, what I call an asset protection trust is what we're really talking about here, which is a specific type of irrevocable trust. If I do an asset protection trust, obviously I'm doing it because I want to protect assets, right? So I put in the house, I put in some money, but then we have to leave some money outside of the trust because I still need to buy groceries and I still have, you know, need transportation and I still need walking around money. And so we leave money out. We put some money in. Now, as you can imagine, every family is different, but some money goes in, some money stays out. So we've got our walking around money. The obvious question then is, all right, Tim, I got my I got my house in this trust. I got some money in this trust. I got this other money over here. Everything's fine. But what happens if I spend all that other money? I want to get back to the money in the trust. Can I? And the answer is no, you can't. Because if you could get it, they can get it. You're not a beneficiary of this trust, but the trust has beneficiaries, whoever you decide, your family members. If you have kids, that's who the beneficiaries of the trust probably are. And so while you can't write yourself a check, you could write your daughter a check. And in my experience, most families, that's about the same thing, right? But it's an important distinction from a legal standpoint that you cannot write yourself a check from the uh, from the trust, because if you could get it, the nursing home could get it. But if I can write my daughter a check and my daughter still loves me, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be in sound financial ground. Um, and remember, folks, even though this is an irrevocable trust, you can still change the beneficiaries. So if your daughter doesn't provide well for you, she's eliminated from the trust. She's disinherited, so to speak. And then you go on to the other kid, right? Uh, and so even though these are irrevocable trusts, there's a lot of flexibility. You can maintain a lot of control and still protect assets. And once we teach people this, once people get this concept that, oh, I can maintain control and protect the stuff from the nursing home, which is the biggest financial threat I will encounter in my entire life, I can protect assets from that. And I've read on the Internet that one in three of us are going to have dementia and two-thirds of seniors are going to need long-term care. Okay, so one-third are going to have dementia. Two-thirds are going to need long-term care. Yeah, perhaps we should protect our house from long-term care expenses because nursing homes are $180,000 a year. And you, you start adding these things up, and we start asking the question, is a will or a trust the right solution? 
I'm going back to the first two minutes of this episode, it really depends on what you want to accomplish. If what you want to accomplish is probate avoidance, you should consider a revocable living trust. If what you want to accomplish is probate avoidance plus asset protection from the nursing home, which seems to me to be a pretty good idea, you probably ought to consider an asset protection trust because you don't get any of those qualities with a will. right? So we go through this process. You ought to come to one of our upcoming estate planning workshops where we dive into each of these things a little bit more. Uh, we provide you with some more clarity. We provide you with some more um some more information about it and um you know from my standpoint the workshop is a great place to art, to start to understand how this stuff really works so that you get the base level level of information on how we want to handle our affairs how we want to handle our most difficult chapters of our precious life story and if life is going to throw me the dementia curveball if my um, spouse may end up having a stroke, if um, if we have Parkinson's disease, mobility issues, whatever it is, I know that not only have we done the planning that answers the question, uh, who gets it when we pass away, which typically is equal shares to the kids, um, not only have we answered that question, but we have also answered the question, what happens if I get really, really sick before I pass away? Because I understand that if I get really, really sick before I pass away, my spouse might be in financial trouble, and I love her too much for that. So I'm going to protect some stuff to make sure she's okay. And that, to me, makes some sense. But you got to decide what your goals are. Um, I hope you found this episode of the Life and Legacy Show uh, informational and helpful. Uh, if you'd like to learn more, go to secularlawfirm.com. But please, please, please don't make legal and financial decisions based on what you hear on this or any other radio show. You need to get legal advice. We're available anytime at 724-546-4227. And I thank you for listening. This has been the Life and Legacy Show, sponsored by the Secular Law Firm, where great families make great plans. SeclarLawFirm.com or call 724-841-1393.